Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Gray's Inn Students. Hello, my name is Kira Church and welcome to this episode of Raising the Bar. Today we're going to be talking to Kelly Yu, our Aegis Treasurer. We're going to be talking about the bar course providers, our journey to the bar and everything that we've learned along the way. So Kelly, could you just give us a little overview of your journey to the bar and what area of law you're interested in? Yeah, of course. So I'm originally from Hong Kong. I came to the UK and studied a degree in English literature from Durham. I realized during my English degree that I wanted to pursue a career in law. And so I did the kind of two year undergraduate degree in law at Cambridge. I was lucky enough to get a Grayson scholarship for the bar course, which I'm finishing up this year. And I was even luckier to get pupillage while I was on the bar course. So I'll be starting pupillage in October, 2023. That's absolutely incredible. Congratulations on pupillage. Um, I do have some questions about your, so the Cambridge law degree, is that kind of like the GDL or is it a whole different thing? So it, it is actually a full undergraduate degree in law, but it's condensed into two years. Uh, so it's only available to people who have already done a degree uh, before. And so in that sense, it's a bit similar to the GDL. But I'd say it's probably more similar to a three-year law degree than it is to the GDL. I think the GDL tends to study law in less academic depth, um, whereas this kind of two-year degree gives you the option to do a bit more academic stuff, uh, do some electives as well, and really get the full breadth of studying a law degree. That's so cool because I think one of the, not the problems with the GDL, but one thing I've always noticed is how can anyone really pick almost a niche um, because you don't really get that legal side of like exploring a legal interest because it is so prescribed. Um, but do you think that having that both an English degree and a Cambridge um, law degree kind of means you really do know what you want to do and you've had that kind of broad ex- um, academic experience? Yeah, I definitely think that it's a big advantage to have done research in both law and something else like English, because you get a sense of how to research different types of topics. And it's it's quite useful in applying for pupillage to have a bit more maturity and a bit more experience. Uh, and I think it does come across both in the paper application and in the interview somewhat. Definitely. I think maturity is, is a big thing as well. I think I found I'm one of the younger um people on my bar course and I think I learn a lot from the older people on my course because they do just have more maturity they have more life experience and they they often come across as naturally more confident um in what they're saying as well have you found a similar thing I guess you are also relatively on the younger scale but is that something you've come across yeah definitely and I think that the bar is very versatile I quite like talking to people who have come into the bar as kind of a second career and maybe have a few years of experience in something completely different, working at a bank um, or just, you know, an odd job that they've done for a few years. And coming into the bar, they do speak, I think, more confidently, especially if their job is kind of customer facing and they've had that kind of experience. I mean, I'd like to hear about you as well. I mean, how, how do you find being kind of one of the younger people? How do you adapt? Well, I think I came straight from Durham University. I think it's very interesting talking to people who've had second careers and are coming this at a different angle almost. I think I kind of came in from the, you just keep going through education and not really stopped and thought. 
And I think I probably have the benefit when I was doing the litigation exams of I was in education mode, I can just sit down and memorize a load of information. But I do learn so much from people who've been just in work and in employment longer and do recognize those skills as well. Yeah, and I do think that for, I guess, people who might be a little bit younger, who have been in education sort of continuously, there are other ways, I guess, to build up that kind of confidence, doing advocacy, even just mooting, um, pro bono work, having those kind of client-facing um, experiences, I think, can really help to elevate the way that you speak as well. 100%. And I think, personally, I, I've always had odd jobs and worked, and I think that is very beneficial. And I think when you're coming into law, you don't really realize how beneficial it is to have that kind of experience um, until you're writing applications and you're not only pulling from mooting experience and many pupillages, but you are also mentioning things that you did as a, as a waitress or whatever. And you do realize, oh, that's people management. And when you're in an advocacy session in class and you're doing cross-examination it's like oh this is how I would talk in this context kind of thing and you can relate it back to different experiences that you've had. Absolutely and when you're sitting in a pupillage interview and they're saying you know tell us about a time you've dealt with a difficult person or tell us about a time you've had to convince someone you do really draw back from those types of experiences as opposed to you know just studying. Definitely I think universally whatever age you've come into this I think pupillage interviews is where people's diverse experience really comes into its own. Yeah. Um, but how did you, because I think when I applied, I didn't really realize the difference between bar providers. I knew there were about three or four. I kind of based it off costs almost because that seemed to be the biggest difference. But how did you go about picking which provider? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have to say that I pretty much did exactly the same thing. I just picked based off price. <laughs> But uh, I think just as a background, I would say there are probably four main bar course providers which offer the bar course both in London and across the country. So we have the ICCA, the Intercourt College of Advocacy. We have BPP University. We have University of Law and we have City University. Every bar course provider provides kind of a slightly different course. So the teaching will be different. The structure of the course will be different and the cost will be different. Um, so for me, I pick based purely off of costs. So BBP offered me a slightly better scholarship. Uh, and so I just went with them. But now having done the bar course, I realized that there are quite a lot of differences. I think the main difference will be the structure of the bar course itself. So for example, the ICCA and BBP will both have their civil and criminal procedure exams within the first three months. So these are the main big exams that are centralized by the Bar Standards Board. And then the exams for the rest of the skills-based modules will be in the following months. Whereas for University of Law and City, they do their teaching for the core papers of civil and criminal procedure over a longer period of time. So those exams will be within about seven months of you starting that course. And so the structure is quite different across the board. And it's really worth having a look at people's websites and seeing when their exams are and planning around that because obviously if you're doing pupillage interviews, you might want to plan not to have exams in April. Um, or alternatively, if you are doing a part-time job or if you're doing um, some academic stuff, it may be useful for you to do, let's see, the ICCA model where you have kind of a three month break in the middle of your year. Uh, so it, I think there are a lot of different considerations that you do have to take into account. 
Definitely. I kind of say that was an amazing description of all of the providers. That would have been so helpful when I was picking. Um, because I think like you, yes, I just kind of picked based on location. I knew I wanted to be in London and then which is the cheapest one. And you don't realize the importance of structure. And I think that is a massive thing. I think the for me, doing exams in December was so important. But I obviously, that was a lucky coincidence. How did you find doing the split between civil and crim procedure versus practical? Yeah, I think that I personally enjoyed the kind of substantive uh, civil and criminal procedure exams more. I think, uh, like you, I kind of had been, (laughs) yeah, I'd been studying for a long time. And so that was what I was familiar with almost. So mm-hmm. it didn't feel difficult to me for to to study those core papers, whereas the skills-based ones were kind of more confusing and everyone gets taught a little bit differently. And so I think that those two core papers were the ones that I enjoyed the most. And then doing them within three months was intense, but definitely not impossible. I think it's manageable. A hundred percent. And from talking to people and different providers, I really do value that we had those three months get them out of the way because I cannot imagine having to do my practical exams at the same time as those massive three hour long remember everything in these books um, exams. But I mean, I'm glad you enjoyed them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't imagine sort of having that teaching spread out over a really long period of time. And especially I think because um, for uni of law and city, if you do a September start, your main exams are in April. And April is pretty much exactly when all of the pupillage interviews are happening and everything's really intense. Mm-hmm. And so it is, I think, probably quite difficult to balance those two things. I'm assuming you didn't do a master's incorporated in your bar course, but was that a consideration for you? Uh, so no, I chose not to. I know that some people uh, do choose to do the master's. I think that especially if you want funding uh, for a master's, it's easier to get funding uh, or a loan if you do a master's. Uh, and it may be just something that you wanted to pursue. Personally, it wasn't anything that I was particularly interested in. I just wanted the bar course to be able to get called. Definitely. And I think you're right in that it's a financial consideration. Most people I've spoken to who chose to do the master's, it was for the purposes of the loan. Um, Other people do just genuinely really want to do a master's in something. Um, My course provider, ICCA, they don't offer the master's, so I didn't have that choice. But I do find it interesting, um, people's choice to do a master's, which takes place after exams, I think I'm right in saying. So once you complete your exams in April, you'll then do a master's over summer. Yes, I think that's how I understand it as well. So I think that if you do choose to do a master's, you would probably complete the main bar course element. And then over the summer, you'd write something like a a master's dissertation on a particular research topic of your choice. And then that would be your master's completed. Yeah. And I realize you've noted that the ICCA don't sponsor visas for the first part of the course as it's remote. Um, But being international, was that a consideration that you had of who will provide a a visa? Yeah, absolutely. So I really like the ICCA, but unfortunately, part one of their course is all remote. And so they don't have any in-person teaching. And so they don't sponsor any visas. And I really would 
wanted to be in the UK for that first part of the course to do sort of in-person qualifying sessions, just to be able to be in London uh, and live here. So that was definitely a consideration. Definitely. And I think because I stayed at home um, during that first part to kind of save on costs, but I didn't realize that obviously if for an international perspective that it's not just being in the city, it's being in the physical country that is useful yeah. for the qualifying sessions and interviews and all that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the whole process would have been very difficult to do all the way from Hong Kong, especially with the time difference and then having to sort out coming here in the middle of the year would have been difficult. Definitely. How did you balance doing the bar course alongside the qualifying sessions? I, I didn't find it that difficult to balance the qualifying sessions. So over the year, you only have to do 10 qualifying sessions. Uh, I found it pretty easy to slot them in. They were just kind of interesting things. They, they're anything from lectures to just having a dinner um, to having mooting and having to prepare in advance uh, and talk about ethical issues. Uh, so yeah. for me, the qualifying sessions definitely weren't really anything I had to balance. They were sort of a fun thing to do on the side, if that makes sense. I think that's a really good way of looking at it because I think every qualifying session I've been to has genuinely been fun or interesting or in some way useful. Um, I did the Grays in residential weekend and I happened to do it the weekend before I started the practical kind of side of the bar course, the part two of the ICCA course. And it was an amazing introduction to civil, to criminal and civil advocacy. Um, and the first time I ever did cross-examination or an opening speech. So I do think that the, the qualifying sessions, whilst it seems daunting because there's 10 of them and it seems like it's time pressured, they are genuinely kind of enriching to the bar course experience, I think. So I haven't done any of the residential weekends. So how did you find that experience? I would highly recommend. Um, I think it was just so fun and I think it was daunting going into it. It seemed like there was a lot of preparation work and a lot to do and that it was going to be very intense and maybe that everyone would kind of be judging our skills. And then we got there and it just completely wasn't like that. And it was very supportive. It was the first time meeting a lot of people in person, obviously with COVID that had been a difficulty. So it was a great opportunity to meet people on different course providers, find out where they were at in their bar course. People were very willing to give different tips on different modules. And I think that aren't, whilst that it's competitive, um, being a law student and getting pupillage is competitive, it can be sometimes difficult to find a community of people who are all understand what you're going through. And um, when I talk to my family about pupillage, they're kind of like, I kind of know what you're saying, but I don't really get it. Um, so having a weekend, just being surrounded by law students and people offering advice, um, more senior people offering great tips and contact details. It was a really lovely weekend. If there's another one, I'd highly recommend going on it. Wow, you're making me jealous. I didn't do any, so <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really good. Definitely, sign up for next year. <laughs> but on the... Maybe we'll start off the litigation side. Do you have any advice for perhaps revision or textbooks um, that people should kind of go out and either get from the library or worth investing in? Right. So I know everyone does this very differently. So I'd love to hear your perspective on this as well. Mm -hmm. So for the substantive papers, I really only revised via the Blackstones and the White Book. 
So I think every bar course provider will give you both the Blackstones and the White Book as part of your um, as part of your course. And so the BSB will centralize all of these exams and base their syllabus based on provisions in the Blackstones and in the White Book. And the syllabus will lay out every single provision of the White Book and of the Blackstones, all the commentary, all the rules that you need to know. And so literally all I did when revising is I went through all of those provisions. I made notes. Um, I wrote in my White Book. I didn't write in my Blackstones because I didn't have to bring it into exam. But I basically only revised from those two sources. And then I did the exam. Yeah, I did a very similar thing. I think I think there are some textbooks that are available and some revision guides. I think the important thing to remember is you're being examined on the content of those books. So if you revise directly from those books, there's less room for you to kind of go wrong. I think if there's a difficult concept, definitely engaging in a textbook that might break things down is useful. But I think for revision purposes, you need to know that exact wording so yeah. why would you go anywhere else almost? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that what's useful during revision is if you do a past paper or if you do assessment style questions, then go back actually and look at the Blackstone's provision or look at the CPR and look at the white book, look at those rules, which the question is based on. And then you are able to kind of supplement your revision in that way. hundred percent. That's a really good tip. I know for my provider they gave us a set of marks and we also had the BSB marks what was your kind of mock situation like yes yeah, so I think every provider gets the kind of central BSB mocks uh, yeah. BPP also gave us sort of assessment style questions during every workshop and so that was kind of our source of other assessment style questions what I found really helpful was actually going back to people who had done the course in previous years and asking them for their assessment style questions. And that way you build up a bit more of a bank, being able to look through different types of questions. Because with the syllabus being largely the same over the years, I think the questions and the topics that come up, come up again. And so it's useful mm -hmm. to have that kind of bank to look back on. That's so useful because when I was rising, I found it so frustrating that there was only on the BSB side, one mock available. Cause I was like, surely it's the same every year. Like the, the syllabus barely changes. Surely we should be able to access um, more than just one mock paper. I, I don't know the reasons why they only release one, but I yeah. think being able to build your own personal bank is super useful. Getting your head around the kind of questions that they ask. Yeah. And I think, from my perspective at least, I felt that the mocks that the BSB gave us were a million times easier than the actual exam. So I think that if you are going to use those mocks as a revision tool, you should keep in mind all the other provisions of the white book and of the Blackstones that you might be examined on, because I think that the mocks are on the easy side at least. Yeah, I think after doing those mocks, it's easy to get complacent. So it is good to go back over your notes and make sure that you're still going over things instead of just being like yeah I did great on the marks um because the questions yeah. in the actual exam are really hard <laughs> they are <laughs> moving more to the practical side when going into it I thought oh yay this is the bit that's going to be almost more enjoyable it's going to be more practical um, and in many ways I have found that and I found it 
to be more kind of enriching as, oh, that's, this is what I'm going to do when I'm a barrister kind of thing. How did you find the more practical side of the course, so the advocacy, the drafting, the legal research? Yeah, I, I think that to some extent that's definitely true. I think especially when you get to things like witness handling and you get to both be the witness and also examine or cross-examine or even do conferencing, that's sort of the more exciting element of it because you get to talk to somebody and get a client there. Uh, so I definitely found that more enjoyable and more exciting than the other parts of the bar course. I think that my feeling with some of the skills-based modules is that unfortunately the teaching can really vary and sometimes different people get different advice both across bar course providers and within bar course providers and so my advice would be really to talk to your module lead try to really hone down on what you really are supposed to do uh, and look at the mark scheme as well definitely i think having the mark scheme at all times, especially yeah. going into the assessments is very useful of looking at exactly what the marks are going towards. I remember having, I had a discussion the other day and one of our tutors was telling us that structure is so important because it's it's got its own section of 20 marks and it appears in two other locations. And I think understanding exactly what is required, especially on a course where for most people, this is the first time that you're using any of these skills it's completely different to kind of your undergraduate kind of essay. Um, and even if you have had legal practical experience, you are kind of honing in on different skills. So I think having that assessment guide and the mark scheme with you is so, so useful. Um, so you can, you can literally just tick off some of the boxes of, okay, have I done all of the formalities of this piece? Yeah, and I think with the skills-based papers, you also have to watch out for fatal flaws. So. You can't do something which is, uh, which I think they term as so negligent that you might be sued, essentially. And yeah. so <laughs> things like that in conferencing might be um, you've given them the wrong advice on plea or you uh, haven't advised them that there's a risk of uh, being imprisoned for this offense. Uh, and so even if you work really hard and do really well, you could still fail based on a fatal flaw. So those are things kind of to watch out for. Yeah. That just reminds me that on our courses where it's split between part one and part two, you have to take everything you learn from part one into part two. Like our teachers are constantly reminding us because whilst there is these practical skills, at the end of the day, you still need to know the law. <laughs> and if you do commit a fatal flaw, you won't be able to pass the exams. And I think having that refresher of the part one course around part two exam time um, is hugely helpful to kind of avoid very simple things that you almost should know better um, to avoid those fatal flaws. Kiara, I wonder if it would be useful for you to kind of summarize what I guess the, the practical or the skills-based um, papers even are. For sure. So I'm about to do them in a few weeks. <laughs> so on part two, you have different modules. So you have the drafting module, legal opinion and research, civil advocacy, criminal advocacy, conference, and we have our professional ethics. So the professional ethics is very similar to litigation. It's a few hours um, exam and it's multiple choice. And then you have the more practical um, modules, the first five. So for drafting, that could be a particulars of claim. It could be a defense and counterclaim. And they're relatively short documents. 
that you have to draft and it's a 24-hour exam at the moment. I think in the future that may change, but at the moment that's a 24-hour exam. The legal opinion and research writing is a week-long exam and that is a big research task. But I think the tricky thing about that one is you're directing your advice to a client. So whilst you have to have the law right and you have to research well, you also have to turn that information into something that can be easily read by a client and easily understood so that they can make decisions and do the necessary steps. Um, And practical steps is a part of the mock scheme. So what is your practical advice to that client? What more information is needed? If we're at a trial, what's going to happen in that trial? What does the client need to know? And then civil advocacy is a submission. So you'd have to do a summary judgment submission and a skeleton argument would go alongside that. And then criminal, the assessment is a examination in chief and cross-examination. And then conference. Conference, I think, is the one that when I explain to non-law people, they usually have the most difficult time kind of understanding. And it's basically going into someone who is facing a criminal trial and you have to explain to them what the offence they're faced with is, get their input of what they think happened, or the the incident, what what they believe the their actions to have been, and then give them advice based on what they've just told you on their plea, on what sentencing is going to look like, and then again, give them practical advice of what's going to happen next. And there's also some procedural issues. You might want to talk to them about bail conditions, that kind of thing. So I think as a whole, the module is very practical for when you start pupillage on day one, what skills should you have? If you're going to enter the criminal the criminal field on day one, what is useful for you to know? Or if you're going to enter the civil world and you get asked a week in, would you draft this or would you do some research on this? What is that person who's asking you to do that going to expect from you? But I think, as you were saying, different bar providers will deliver those skills to maybe different standards and you will be taught different things. So on my course, uh, we get taught civil um, witness handling and not all courses do that but they felt it was important that we did that which so it would support both our criminal skills but also when we do pupillage that's very useful to know but that depends on the provider. Yes absolutely so I think that uh, BBP as well they don't do civil and criminal advocacy separately we only do one kind of core advocacy module our drafting isn't 24 hours it's a three-hour exam and then I think depending on your bar course provider, when you do conferencing, sometimes you do preparation for it. So some bar course providers say submit a conference preparation note beforehand. But I think Uni of Law, for example, won't have that conference preparation note. You just go in and do the conference. Oh, I didn't realize that the exams themselves also differ. That's so interesting. Yeah. So with the skills based papers, the people examining you will be your bar course provider, whereas for the two central yes. exams, um, it's the BSB that marks you. Yes, and as you're saying, I think on my course we've been reassured that all the tutors kind of, whilst we may be told different things within sessions, there is a procedure to make sure that during the exams everyone will be marked to the same standard, someone won't be penalised for doing something in a different tutor style and that kind of thing. And I think the only way you do really know these discrepancies is talking to bar students 
this kind of information, at least I didn't find online because it is very insular, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is quite useful to talk to other people who are being taught by different tutors because it gives you that kind of variety and gives you a different sense of how advocacy is being taught somewhere else, someone else's style maybe. A hundred percent. And I also think within your own course, because at least at ICA, all our um, tutors have been in practice. So when they are doing demonstrations, you're kind of having an insight into their style. And even in say drafting, if you get a sample by one tutor, you're having an insight into how they write. And they always say, these are just samples. It's not a model answer. And I think the thing I didn't realize about the bar course, the practical side, was there's often not a right answer and it is developing your own style, but just making sure you're, you're competent. You're, you're making sure that you've got everything important right, but there is room for your own style and doing things in your own way, which I think is actually quite cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even just the way we all speak, we all deliver our speech very differently, but it's not necessarily that one way is always more effective than the other. 100%. I think that's so important in criminal advocacy. I, sometimes I watch people and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so good at kind of telling the story and they're so effective of kind of getting you invested. And then someone else will stand up to it in a completely different style. And you're like, oh my gosh, they're so efficient at kind of adducing the information. And you can learn, I think, so much from watching other people and learning from their mistakes as well. Yes, absolutely. I, I wonder, have we... Have you given sort of a little summary of the two core papers as well? Do you want to maybe do that as well? The litigation papers? Yeah, civil and criminal procedure. Okay, I'll do a brief summary of the litigation exams. <laughs> so there's two, there's criminal and civil. So for civil, it's based on the civil procedural rules. Um, the white book, which I found out when the white book was delivered to my house, is not one book. It is two massive <laughs> books with some supplementary um, small books with it. And the criminal one is based on Blackstones. And you basically have to learn the procedures of criminal and civil trials so that in some ways they're quite similar. You go through before the trial starts, preparing for trial, core principles, um, each stage of a trial, settlement for civil. There's a focus on, um, say, children in criminal. And you basically learn the ins and outs of procedures um, in relation to both civil and criminal. And then exam-wise, there's one criminal exam that's three hours long. And there are two civil exams one of which is open book, the other is closed. But importantly for the civil exams is they have the same syllabus. So whilst one is open book and one is closed book, you could be tested on anything on either exam. So it's very important that you don't rely on the civil procedure, the white book, because you may be asked a question that you thought would only come up in an open book exam that comes up in a closed book. Saying that, I think when I was revising, I noticed that the kind of questions that came up in the open book exam were slightly more niche, were more, you kind of knew the answer, but you also knew, hmm, that specific thing has a specific rule and I will check the commentary for it. I don't know if you found a similar thing with the civil exams. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the open book, uh, open book exam is really designed so that you can 
have the time to look through the white book and look through some really specific commentary. And so it almost operates as a reading comprehension exercise. You go to the specific provision in the white book and you're able to answer the questions like that. Exactly. I think it's probably also worth saying that I think both the civil and the criminal procedure papers are really helpful for getting an insight into what it's really like being a barrister because you have the skills-based uh, papers where you, you get the sense of this is what it's like to maybe appear before a court or speak, but the really the practical elements of being a barrister are having to go and do a summary judgment or having to go and do a freezing order uh, or making an interim application. And those are, I think, things which aren't really covered in a law degree. You don't really learn about those things while you're studying law. You're learning the substantive things like contract and tort and criminal. You're not learning about what are the time limits for making this application? How do I make this application? What are the rules for making this application? So I think that's really useful to learn on the bar course and also really useful information to retain when you're applying for pupillage because those things can come up you could be asked in a pupillage interview to do a security for costs application or something else like that. And having that experience is really useful. Completely. I think at least I went into the bar thinking, I want to be in this area of law and these are the reasons and I have this academic interest. And then it wasn't until I started on the bar court and I was like, oh no, this is the reality of the bar. These are the applications that I'm gonna be making regardless of what area of law I go into this is the practical information that I need to know. And this is going to be my day to day, which I think is important for people coming to the bar to realize that it's not just a means to an end. It is substantively what you will be doing day to day as a barrister is what you learn on the bar course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wonder if you have any advice to people who are either starting their bar course in the new year, or maybe people who are still deciding whether to do the bar. Hmm, that's that's an interesting question. Deciding whether or not to do the bar course as opposed to join the bar? Yeah, maybe people, I guess when I was applying, I think Durham as a university kind of pushed the solicitor route. There wasn't much information about the bar. So I think when making the decision to do the bar, you were kind of going in blind. So maybe what would you say to people who kind of want to do the bar, but don't really know what to expect? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think that I kind of had an interest in the bar quite early on, even during my English degree. And the reason for that is I got to do a lot of different types of mooting, kind of getting experience of advocacy. So my advice would really be to go out and get experiences, go do some mooting, see if you enjoy that advocacy element, the legal research element, being challenged on what you're writing and what you're saying uh, by people who might know the law better than you. And I'd also say, really go out and get mini pupillages. Uh, I think that over COVID, perhaps it was a little bit more difficult, but I think that if you apply to enough, you will definitely get at least a few mini pupillages. And you can definitely get mini pupillages at really good sets too. And so get that experience and go and talk to barristers and hear about their life and see if that's something that is worth pursuing for you. Because until you talk to people who actually do it, you won't really get an idea of what it's really like. You just have kind of something you've imagined in your head. 
Definitely. And I think when you're doing pupillage interviews, that is really what they want to know that you understand is that you understand the reality of the job. Is there something that maybe you're glad that you did during pupillage application season, which you did while studying for the bar that you think is really useful? So I think, honestly, I didn't do that much other than the bar course and pupillage interviews. And the reason for that is there really isn't that much time. If you're doing a full run of pupillage interviews, uh, I did, I think, 25 to 27 interviews over the course of two months. So it's very difficult to do something on the side. Uh, Yeah, so it would be 25 interviews and maybe nine written assessments. And so I would say really think about your time and don't take on too much. Um, Really try to focus on the things that will help you get pupillage, focus on your exams and the pupillage interviews. That would be my advice. That is good advice. I think the time split um, is something you don't really think about until you have to do the the pupillage gateway and you don't really realize how time consuming it is, both the written application, but also interview prep. So having that time balance is very important. Um, kind of wrapping up, um, it'd be amazing to know you do have pupillage. Um, so what you'll be doing in the next year or so, what you're excited about? Well, I'll actually be going back to Hong Kong for a year. And the reason for that oh, is okay. I'm planning. Yeah, I'm finally getting to see my family after two years. Um, oh my gosh, so, it'll be so nice to go back. Yeah, it'll be lovely to go back. And honestly, I'm just trying to build up as much experience as I can before I start pupillage. I'm really hoping to get some experience in fields like arbitration, because that's kind of where I want to build my practice, kind of commercial slash arbitration slash prof nag. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm looking forward to going back and, and getting some experience. I think that's an amazing way to spend the year. I think I've heard from some people, some people are like, I'm going to relax. And then other people are like, no, I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to get some experience. But I think it is a great time to get that experience before you start that hectic pupillage year where it's kind of all guns blazing as opposed to kind of getting to figure out your interests, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm in no rush, I think, to start pupillage. I think that some people <laughs> some people sort of get an offer and then uh, the set might say, you know, do you want to start this year? And, and they really go for it. Um, whereas I thought it might be better to take a year out and go see my family. <laughs> Definitely. I think you deserve a year out, to be honest. <laughs> but thank you so, so much um, for talking to us today. I wish I had this podcast before I applied um not that I don't think I would have changed anything but having your overview of the different bar course providers um has been so so helpful and I hope some people will find it very useful oh thank you thank you for having me thanks for listening to the raising the bar podcast please subscribe rate and review and for more information check us out on twitter at agi students